Long days and pleasant nights to you folks. This week's episode is Lauren Heath. She is an excellent artist. Um, she does the artwork for the company logo for Wayward Wordsmiths, and then also for Amateur Detective Club. She's amazing. She's really a wonderful, lovely, lovely person. Big fan. We have an excellent conversation about anxiety, depression, and why those things occur, and how those things occur. Also, how art helps those things occur less. If you like this show, please go to patreon.com slash waywardwordsmithsco to support it. And if not, if you don't have any of that good money just lying around, you can just go to waywardwordsmiths.wordpress.com. Check us out there. Let's get the interview started. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Justin. Thank you for coming back on, even though we had technical difficulties. I really appreciate it. Um, no problem. Yeah. Um, so you are living in, is it New Mexico? No, it's it? Arizona. <laughs> Arizona. Is that the same place? I don't know. No, it's all it's all desert from here. Uh, yeah. But... I mean, we're the only state that has saguaro cacti, so that's my oh. one bragging right. <laughs> we get the big tall guys with the wavy arms. <laughs> okay, so the road runner cactus, like yes. the ones that. Okay, the, yeah, the, the big stereo- tall guys with the wavy arms. It's in the mm-hmm. saguaro desert only. Oh, really? And that runs into yeah, and it runs into Arizona. It's also part of Mexico, I believe. But huh. yeah, so when there's like drawings of examples of like Texas or whatever, and there's saguaro cacti, I'm like. It's lies, man. It's fucking lies. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Um, yeah. And you're an illustrator, and you went to school in Baltimore, right? Yes, that's correct. And can you talk a little bit about how you got into illustrating and why illustration specifically and your time at school, please? Yeah. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I first went to my school, MICA, the Maryland Institute College of Art in Baltimore. Um, But the way the school was set up, it was a system of um, your first year was called your foundation year and you got to try a bit of everything. Um, So we kind of had a really specific list of classes that we were all taking and we got to choose one elective. And I kind of held off because I was so uncertain of what I was doing. So I waited till my second semester to choose my elective and I went for intro to illustration and really fell in love with it so there's it kind of can mean and be a lot of different things illustration um but yeah I just like making work for other people mostly mm-hmm. and so by the nature of like the definition of illustration is it's that you're commissioned by other people for other projects or like what does that mean I think mostly the meaning like the best definition I can give of illustration is like um communicating something through art okay um like with imagery which is super duper vague and i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) no it's fine um but that's kind of how i think that's how we kind of learned to describe it at school because it can be both like i can be creating work um inspired by myself that's still for other people or it can be working with a client to Mm -hmm. like create pieces so Hmm. which you're familiar with because that's how we met yeah, yeah, Yay. the wonderful the wonderful art for both our company <laughs> logo and then also the podcast, the Amateur Detective Club. Um, and y- you chose specifically you 
let me let me try and remember the conversation we already had of like you tried painting <laughs> and you tried sculpture and you got really fed up with digital stuff what why do you use the mediums you use yeah um that really varies for me i think um a lot of artists illustrators specifically tend to master one medium and really stick with it um mm-hmm which is probably what I should do, but especially in school, I uh, like to mix it up a lot because um, I, I get bored really easily. So uh-huh. I think what happened was I mentioned um, my junior year, I was really struggling with digital work, which is mm-hmm. digital is great for illustration. It's super convenient when working with clients because you can change things super easily. Um, but I was just kind of like feeling really detached from the art because it's just like, I'm staring at a screen constantly. I'm not touching anything. And so I was like, what's the opposite of this? Maybe I'll try sculpture and see what happens. So I started making dolls mm-hmm. and um, would use kind of mixed media of like photography and then like sculpting, sewing, and like created these characters and then like photographed them in scenes. Um, and then for my senior thesis, I did a children's book where I created the characters like that and then digitally painted the background. So it was kind of a mixed media collage. And my whole idea behind that was like my favorite things from children's books growing up and especially thinking like the most iconic I can think of is like the very hungry caterpillar. Sure. Was like the first thing that comes to mind is those wild, like the textures in that book, like mm-hmm. the collage feel of it. And I think that's like kind of like tactile imagery is like really great for kids and kind of like just super eye-catching so that's kind of what I was trying to manifest I suppose that sounds very interesting very pleasant (laughs) yeah I suppose like I I feel like the older you get the more you appreciate like obviously you have an intellectual appreciation for art and specifically visual art but and that's one of the like that's kind of why I love like Actors kind of the same way of, like, if you do a show for kids, like, they're the best and worst audience to have because they're so honest. If you're boring at all, they will let you know. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's kind of the same way with visual art as well. If you take a kid to a museum, they'll just point to whatever and go, this is bad. Like, yeah. Well, why? It's just, it looks bad. Like, it's not engaging, which is, I think, going to what you're saying with tactile art is a great way of... I think it's something that it would be interesting to see it in a more like adult setting. Yeah. Sort of thing. Um, Yeah. I'd like to play with that too. mm -hmm. Yeah. There's just so much to do. (laughs) Like, and it's really interesting that you, I never would have thought of mixing, even like mixing digital with like photography, like as mixed media. Cause like you hear that term a lot, specifically around like performance art of like, there's a projection in the background and then people are dancing and it's weird mm-hmm. and no one really understands what's going on, but it's art. But that's the, so that's, that just struck me as interesting. Um, so did, did you always draw as a kid too? Like, were you? Yeah, totally. And I basically from like my everywhere we went I would have to have like a clipboard and crayons and like I just we get in the car for five seconds I'm in there with my clipboard and crayons (laughs) like from a little from a really little kid and I was fortunate in that my parents have always been really supportive of like my identity as an artist Mm-hmm. Um, cause I think we also talked a bit about the last time we recorded, I'm just going to pretend that I've been on this podcast like 
a billion times and I'm just an old hack at this because absolutely just, <laughs> yeah oh yeah you haven't listened yeah, to yeah, the previous yeah, yeah. five episodes with me on no yeah. um, <laughs> but like I we I talked about this before of like um I recently read something where an artist someone was asking an artist like um I'm th- like going into school like college and I'm not sure if I want to go to art school or pursue something else like I'm not super sure I can be confident in like pursuing this as a career and the artist's response is like if you it like if it's what you're meant to do it's not even a choice you just have to do it like yeah. as an artist and it, I thought that sounded really pretentious and shitty at first because it's not an option for everyone um but I think I kind of definitely felt that way like I never had a choice of like there was nothing else I really wanted to do and it was like well this is what I'm most passionate about and I don't think I could do anything else successfully so I better go for it you know mm-hmm. and you've um talked a bit about like uh, like intrusive thoughts and that sort of thing and you're anxious a bit with that confidence of knowing like this is what I want to do do you ever feel like do you ever suffer from like imposter syndrome and you're like I who am I why am I here I, I, I I'm just kidding myself yeah a thousand times um not so much like I'm kidding myself more like oh my god, I have so much farther to go to be good. Mm. Um, with my art, I don't know. Like, I, I struggle a lot on the daily with um, producing things I actually like. Like, it'll take me a really long time in many iterations of the thing. Um, but as far as imposter syndrome goes and my intrusive thoughts thing, yeah, we talked a little bit about that where I'm um, planning on making a a kind of a zine about like uh, illustrating some intrusive thoughts I wrote down in my last kind of semester of school because mm. um, I was so sleep deprived <laughs> that they were getting pretty wild and yeah I have um I have generalized anxiety disorder and depression um yeah. so but um yeah I was talking about doing a zine for those intrusive thoughts but one thing that's been like kind of hanging me up about it is i'm worried that they're not really intrusive thoughts mm-hmm. um because they're kind of just like weird descriptive things i don't know so it's like i and but it's like again i'm like am i doing <laughs> am i doing mental health problems wrong like it's very strange <laughs> yeah, you're having imposter like, syndrome about your diagnosis is actually really common yeah, or just having imposter syndrome about whether these qualify as intrusive thoughts, mm-hmm. um, which is dumb. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it, it, it's a really silly. It's a little little malfunction of the brain because it is like I understand that. Like there are definitely times. I think that everyone who has any sort of mental peculiarity questions it because there are days where you either feel the opposite of what someone has told you you are or you just feel fine like a normal mm-hmm. person and you're like Ed, do I really have this thing maybe mm-hmm. I'm just faking it and maybe like which in and of itself is like if you question it that much is kind of an indicator that no yeah you do it's kind of like yeah. how I, I don't know if you feel this like way if I'm like fake calling out sick to work I'm like yeah I'm sick I don't feel guilty at all, but the minute I feel actual sickness and I can't come in to work where I want to work and make money, like, I feel ridiculously guilty and I question, should I, should I not? And that's kind of a similar feeling, I find. 
Yeah, that. that's a good analogy for it. Yeah. Um, do you like I've I've seen a lot of this um like like adult coloring books and do you think that the the drawing really helps soothe your anxiety and that sort of thing? Um or do you think it's more of a catalyst for it? Adult coloring books are so far removed from creating your own illustrations to yeah, me that it's I, like hard to do a comparison. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily, like, you can ignore that part, but, like, just the physical act of, like, drawing, drawing. on paper. Yeah. On paper yeah. or anything. And not to, also not to, like, diss adult coloring yeah, books. Yeah, wh- like, wh- that helps people who aren't, like, who aren't, like, trained artists for their whole lives to just, like, color something and have a yeah. nice time. That's awesome. Like, that's so great and do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, beca- like, creating something whole cloth and, like, basically illustrating um it can be anxiety reducing kind of more um for me the creative outlet that like reduces my anxiety is actually singing yeah and playing ukulele Mm -hmm. badly um (laughs) but yeah that's kind of like that would be my um version of a stress reliever and there's so many reasons for that like anxiety drawing can be soothing um but honestly most of the time it probably gives me like anxiety just because I'm stressed about how I can't make things look the way I want them to look and waiting for my hand to finally catch up with my brain um but yeah I've been um I've been singing for a really long time I think when I was 12 I kind of um was told by like my choir teacher that like my folks should get me like a voice teacher or something um so I took voice lessons for about six years and um and then when i went to college i uh started i taught myself ukulele which is why i'm very bad at it because i don't actually know how to play a string instrument (laughs) i took piano as a kid like heck um Uh but yeah i was really funny i grew up in um a united methodist church that was really big with a huge youth group Uh um i'm not religious anymore because most of those kids were terrible (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, wait a second. No thanks. Um, but so I was in I was in the church band. I was yeah. in a Christian rock band. Yeah, absolutely. Hell yeah, Jesus. Um, and uh, choir. We went on choir tours a lot. So I, I kind of had a community that I sang with in groups. And then mm-hmm. um, when I went away to college, I kind of like got to develop my own specific voice Mm because you're not trying to sound like uniform with everyone else Mm -hmm. and i singing for me now is like i'm not a songwriter at all i love doing covers and kind of like making pieces my own Mm -hmm. and um in that way it's kind of a creative outlet for me and there's so much interesting like psychological like history behind singing and like how it's so like soothing to human brains and it just like releases endorphins and just like can be really satisfying and I think um I heard on another podcast they're talking about um like you appreciate watching people sing like in a crowd because you can like empathize with how like scary it is to sing in front of other people and how difficult that is Mm -hmm. so like when they do it successfully it also gives you like a rush of endorphins Mm. so it's just like this really interesting I think kind of like 
and also just music being a hugely important part of human history and like yeah our kind of reptile brain like creating something like that um but yeah so i like to sing mostly for myself okay but sometimes for other people it also (laughs) (laughs) it also makes sense that like singing would soothe you as well because then you're like there's a specific structured breathing you know Mm -hmm. and that calms you down nice and good that's why meditation works and that's great hell yeah Mm -mm. give me some of that good breathing some of that good oxygen in my blood nice Mm, love that good brain brain juice yeah absolutely Mm, tasty um and like yeah that that also that's really interesting i i didn't really consider the whole like empathy thing that's really interesting um but yeah do you like because it's this thing of like hmm I'm trying to draw parallels between what you do and what I do just to try and understand it better in regards to yeah. your creative process. And as much as like, like I'll make jokes with friends, but I'm also a comedian. And so like, sometimes like it feels like I'm doing my job around my friends. Like, do you like doodle for fun? Like just draw something for the hell of it and not really think about it. Like, or every time you draw, there is that voice in your head that goes, it needs to be what I see in my mind. Like, oh, I definitely doodle for fun. I was trying to think of like drawing for friends. Like sometimes with my other art school buds, we'll draw jokey memes of each other. But um, oh, that's really fun. But I still am thinking like, oh, I need to make this look a little bit good because <laughs> it's like my other my friends that are better than me. Oh, that are looking at it. Absolutely. If I'm joking so, around with another comedian, I have to work twice as hard. But if I'm just like oh, at yeah. home, yeah, absolutely. I fully understand oh, yeah. that. But I think probably about like. 90% of the files on my computer are, like, personal art that I'm not going to show anyone. Yeah. Um, and it's just kind of experimenting and doodling. So that stuff is, like, pretty anxiety-free unless I'm getting frustrated of, like, oh, beans, I just can't do this good, <laughs> huh? Yeah. Uh, but, um, so, yeah, no, there's definitely a lot of that. I have a lot of personal sketchbooks. Um, and it's such a great, that is a really great, like, kind of mindless thing you can do especially when I like tune out and listen to podcasts and let just kind of let my hand like do whatever it feels like mm-hmm. um yeah that can be like a more anxiety free version of drawing mm-hmm. unless I get into it and I like what I'm making and then I stress out mm-hmm. a little <laughs> mm-hmm. that makes sense I think you touched on something really important there just now though of, like as an artist making something that is just for you because mm-hmm. like by its nature like all art is a little performative because you're hoping there's going to be an audience for it but i feel yeah. like like i'm gonna kind of ramble a little bit here but like there's i don't know if you've seen the documentary i am heath ledger no i haven't it's really good um but my boy heath he just made like he recorded himself and made so many short films with just him just and like he didn't show them to anybody he just did it for like wow. practicing acting and stuff like that and like figuring out how cameras work and that sort of thing but he didn't no one saw any of them until this documentary and it's i think there's like this really important thing of like some things should just be for you yeah i was gonna go sorry i didn't mean to. i was gonna ask if he had like released permission in his will or something for people to view those oh well yeah they just took a couple and oh, they worked okay. the documentarians worked with his family and like the word it was super like thought out okay and that sort of thing and yeah. there's still several things that like he had like 
there have been like little documentaries of like him his collection of like notebooks and mm-hmm. stuff he made and like he used to paint and like he did photography he has like just books and books and books of photographs and you see the books but you don't see inside them that kind of thing mm-hmm. oh okay that's yeah. nice but like oh, that's really interesting yeah i think it's really important to just make something for you every once in a while and i'm glad that you could are able to do that for yourself because yeah. i know that's really hard for me like everything i make i'm like ooh, who's this for oh you mm-hmm. idiot okay great i think <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's why i think i know i'm kind of just talking about myself now and i apologize but like i think that's why like no. jokes are so good because you just you mm-hmm. do write to them like what do i think is funny and then i'll see like it doesn't matter like i think this is good but yeah mm-hmm. um but you mentioned li- like last time we talked of like um, you had like a little bit of a like a rough time in in school, and that's kind of when you that's like going off to college is sort of the catalyst of realizing that your your depression and anxiety were like more serious than they were before. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I don't think I really acknowledged having anxiety or depression before I went off to school, and then um, it was kind of a a combination of a lot of things. Um, throughout my freshman year and then especially near the end I think everyone who um you know goes away for college kind of experiences that at least a little like the the change of I mean I moved 2,000 miles away I've lived in this exact same house where I'm back at now my whole life my parents have never moved like yeah so it was um it was a lot to handle because it's such a different place. And it was honestly a lot of culture shock, hmm. which was great for me to grow up as a human being because I grew up in a very weird, sheltered town. Um, so moving to Baltimore was like, I'm so happy I did as my like development and growth as a person. But anyway, back to mental health stuff. Um, That's all the same. <laughs> yeah, basically. I just, um, yeah, I had a lot of... Um, depression in that time and then um I ended up in a pretty like emotionally abusive relationship end of freshman year and into sophomore year that um gave me really bad anxiety for a lot of the time um and my anxiety manifests itself as like physical pain a lot so like stomach pain specifically so I think I went about like three weeks barely eating. Mm. Um, I think I mentioned I lost probably like 30 pounds or so in the span of a few months. Um, and I couldn't focus in school, um, clearly. Um, and I really regret that time mostly because I feel like I probably could have been much more developed as an artist and taken more advantage of my schooling if I had been mentally well but hey you can't control everything hindsight's 2020 mm-hmm. um and uh i almost lost my scholarship at one point oh. um it was so funny you could literally track my mental health with like my grades if you wanted to because mm-hmm. like freshman year i was on the dean's list i got like straight a's and then like sophomore year i'm like i got the f- my first d ever in life um and like it's like had to write a letter being like <laughs> hey, please don't uh, take back the money you gave me to do well here. I'm just really struggling. (laughs) um, But luckily, because it's an artist school, like, they were pretty, like, understanding. Um, And I, you know, got my shit together. 
um and made it back on the dean's list senior year nice so that but it's just so funny it's like you can see me like Mm -hmm. plummet and then rise back up and it's just like you know that's kind of how life goes sometimes and you learn how to manage that shit but yeah. yeah. And had you done any therapy about it during that time? Like, did someone help you get tools to manage it? Yeah, I went to a psychiatrist. Honestly, probably, like, my friends and the people around me were the biggest support. But definitely getting to a psychiatrist was super helpful. Getting prescribed um, anti-anxiety meds was really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, but after a while, I kind of that stopped being helpful for me so i moved on to like the school counselor Mm -hmm. um which was also just nice to have that kind of third party person event too Mm -hmm. i think that's super important for everyone to have at least like once in their life or just experience like some form of therapy but yeah we did a little bit of with my psychiatrist a little bit of behavioral cognitive therapy um Mm -hmm. and then mostly just talking but i haven't been to a therapist in a few years now um and I'd love to get back into it. It's just like really good and important work to do, you know? Yeah. It's work, but it's... Yeah, it is. It's good shit. Yeah. <laughs> and I think a lot of it is like... Like I, I did therapy... I've done therapy off and on for a couple of years. And like I've done like a year chunks at a time. And I've done a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy. And that's really helped. And it's really great implementing those things into your life you know, after even you're not seeing a therapist, but it's also one of those things of, like, it's just kind of, like, the same way you would check in, like, if you had, like, lupus or, like, diabetes, like, once a year, you're going to check in and you're going to work on, or if you've, like, pulled Mm -hmm. a muscle or have a herniated disc, you're going to have to do physical therapy, too. Like, it's just always good to check in, and there's another thing I wanted to say, but I don't remember it. Oh, well. That's okay. But, yeah, that... I would love to hear a little bit more specificity in regarding in regards to the your friends being supportive of you and like that because that's super important because a lot of people don't have that. Yeah, I think I was in a position where especially being in a small arts college, it's like um so many people also had mental health issues and understood what it was like. Mm-hmm. Um like my parents tried to be helpful like in comparison, but like did not have a good understanding of what I was going through or what it felt like. So it was really hard to connect and get them to understand. Like, even now my mom will be like, well, why are you anxious? Mm-hmm. Why are you depressed? And it's like, because I have anxiety yeah. and depression. <laughs> it's like, because that's how my brain does it. <laughs> like, sorry. but um, That's how my brain does it. That's very good. <laughs> yeah, but especially, like, living in a dorm and, like, having access to so many people close around you Mm -hmm. like if I needed to be with someone and like couldn't be alone I could like contact so many people that could just be there for me I remember like spending a couple nights in other places dorms on the couch and just being like I still feel terrible but if I was alone it would be so much more terrible Mm -hmm. and thank god you know Mm -hmm. so but yeah I think just having a person to either listen to you or distract you was like a huge help for me at the time Mm -hmm. and you said your parents kind of try to understand but like they're also going through their own your dad specifically their own struggles as well right like 
Yeah. Sorry, you said like parents trying to understand. I just my head just went. Parents just don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> like the nineties. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. Oh, that. Yeah, that. Um, right, kids. That Will Smith rap on a chair. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Parents just don't understand. <laughs> I'm holding a slice of pizza right now. You just can't see it. Yep. <laughs> oh, God. But um. anyway, yeah, my dad has depression. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of um, what I was driving at. <laughs> anyway, but um, yeah, he. I I actually didn't know this until um, I went away to college, I believe. My mom, like, mentioned it to me kind of when I was getting diagnosed, like, oh, yeah, I mean, your dad has depression. And I was like, what? Excuse? <laughs> Pardon? Me? I never knew that. Pardon? Mm-hmm. Pardon moi? Um, and it's, uh, it's weird. I think my parents, I kind of grew up in a family that doesn't like to talk about negative emotions. Uh-huh. Um, so they just kind of never mentioned it to me. Mm-hmm. And, like, having negative emotions was seen as, like, a bad thing that needed to be fixed. Mm. Um, so I... St- Still don't really know the specifics of my dad's, like, depression. Even the other day, I, like, I think I mentioned to him, like, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to talk to Tristan about mental health stuff. And he, or just, like, about being mentally ill. And he was like, what do you mean mentally ill? You're not mentally ill. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I have mental illnesses. <laughs> What's, I have anxiety and depression, father. Like, <laughs> and this is, like, now, after I've been living with him almost a year. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah. So, it, it's funny. I think he probably doesn't really acknowledge it in himself, even though he's been diagnosed, mm-hmm. and I, I believe he might be on medication. Mm-hmm. Um, but my my sibling also has manic depression, mm-hmm. and I think bipolar as well. Same. Or some combination. They're same thing. Same thing. Old outdated cool. term, new data term. Now it's new technically bipolar spectrum disorder because everything's on a spectrum oh. now. It's weird. Yeah. But it makes more I sense. I would love to... I need to do more research about it and get a better understanding of it. There's... Because it's something that I don't have. But I would love to, like... If you have any research or, like, recommendations of... I have a blog post that is literally just a list of all the resources I've compiled over the years. Um, but... I would love to check that out. There's specifically a book called um, the Manic... Uh, sorry, the Bipolar Survival Guide. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember the author's name. But it's a, a manual that's... Like, it's a workbook. There's, like, worksheets and stuff. But it's designed for people um, who either have um, bipolar disorder or friends and family. Like, this is what you can expect from your loved one. This is the rationale behind okay. the behavior, that sort of thing. I should check that out for sure. Because um, I talked to with uh, you about this last time mm-hmm. of, like, my sibling and I, um, who's non-binary, they go by they, them. Mm-hmm. Um, we used to be super close. And they've always had mental health problems, and, like, that's not, of course, like, what drove us away, but kind of, like, them moving off to college mm-hmm. and just the long distance kind of divided us for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, as we've kind of, like, manifested our own different, like, issues and, like, worked on them in different ways, I think um, I find it harder to connect with them sometimes, because mm. my my anxiety and like depression manifests itself really differently from their like manic depressant depression because mm-hmm. they are very manic a lot of the time so they'll be up here and i'll be down here and it's really hard to like yeah communicate when we're on different energy wavelengths mm-hmm. you know it's like oh i love you and i want to talk <laughs> to you so bad but i don't know what's happening like yeah. so 
Yeah, I want to get better about that yeah. for sure. Um, I'll I'll send you that compilation of stuff. Yeah. Um, Yay. I I hear you as well. Like my like I've I know people and I have friends and family who are depressed but not manic and like there's this kind of thing of like I kind of view it like when you have bipolar disorder you're kind of like you're one of your defaults has to be up or down like you have to tend towards one my sister has it and i have it you have that power too leia he's our father but anyway no (laughs) um but like my sister has it as well and she kind of tends to being down more and i tend to be Mm -hmm. up more i'm like hyperactive all the time as my work output dictates like is indicative of but like like and clearly having like an attention problem whereas molly my sister seems to be a little bit more focused. Um, and so that sometimes I totally hear you, like makes it really hard because you're like the person who's up is like, yeah, no, we can just go and we can just do all these things. And they're just talking a mile a minute. And you're like, Hey, can I just get like a second to think about the first thing you said? Yeah. And it is really, it's really difficult learning how to talk to someone who has a different energy level. But once you do, it's really rewarding, but it does take a lot of work on both. Like you, on both, ends it's just like oh boy on both ends yeah yeah for sure and the problem with it also i think is the distance mm-hmm. um for us um and just that like we've been far apart for so long sure. like i saw them for the first time in about two years oh, wow. um when i graduated wow and part of the distance is also like a lot of issues with our parents yeah. i talked about this a little bit but i was always um the bridge mm-hmm. <laughs> between uh my sibling and them growing up mm-hmm. them as in my parents mm-hmm. um so just kind of being that for a while and then um a little bit of rebellion in college of like i'm not gonna be this anymore mm-hmm. y'all figure out your own shit <laughs> like <laughs> um yeah. was kind of like i think further separation and it was it was like so great to see them again when i did graduate but it was also kind of hard because it's like wow, it's been so long and I feel like you don't really know me that well anymore and I don't know you. Yeah. Of course, because we we haven't seen each other in two years, you know, and we, we don't talk very often even though we, sh- like, could mm-hmm. with, like, different forms of communication. Um, but, yeah, it's something I, like, I kind of don't think about that much and I should. Like, it's just kind of in the back of my mind that, like, I have a sibling out there in the world, you know? It feels so distant sometimes, hmm. but... That's really yeah. interesting. I highly recommend just sending Star Wars memes as a form of communication. I think it's solid. I'll probably do that. Yeah. yeah. Poe <laughs> po can be our glue. Yeah. <laughs> Poe can fix anything. <laughs> um, do you think growing up with, like, this pressure to not have negative emotions as they're called um really exacerbated your underlying anxiety like do you think that made it worse yeah for sure um i think i what what uh becomes anxiety for me a lot of the time is repressed anger Mm. um which is something i realized in therapy thank you therapy i was like wait a second (laughs) I've been gaslit my whole life. Holy shit. (laughs) But I love, that's one of the most satisfying things about therapy that I miss is like when you're kind of talking at yourself and another person is just nodding Mm -hmm. and you're like, wait a second. And they're like, yep, there you go. Mm -hmm. You got there. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, yeah, I I kind of uh, 
whenever, specifically my mother, um, and I also feel pressure to say, like, I love my parents. Of course, like, who doesn't? Still, but not every parent, no parent can be perfect. Um, And my mom kind of um, would gaslight me of, like, if she did something wrong that would hurt me, it was my fault. So if I expressed anger about it, I would get in trouble and, like, the blame would be put on me. That's really... Um, And I have a a specific example of that that, like, um, happened when I was in between, I believe, my sophomore and junior year that made me realize it, Mm -hmm. um, is, uh, this is a hell of a story, but she was, um, so I was in Baltimore, and she was in D.C. um, for work, and was there, like, three times over that summer, and would have me come up and meet her every time, Mm -hmm. um, but so I took the train and got in, we were, like, um, I went to her hotel room, and within 10 minutes of getting there, I broke my toe on the couch in the hotel room, because it had, I'm, I, I literally, like, took off my shoe, and there was, like, a wooden block that's just underneath the whole couch, and I somehow ran into that and, like, broke a toe, mm-hmm. and I've broken toes before, I'm very clumsy, um, so I was, like, oh, my toe broke, like, it's broke as hell, like, it's, pur- <laughs> half my foot is purple, um, and she was, like, no, it's fine. Just walk it off. And I was like, I, I'm in a lot of pain. I, I can't. And she's like, well, we have stuff to do. So, like, come on. What? And I was like, what? So she had me, like, walking around the city, limping around the city, because she wanted to go out and do stuff. Oh, um, that's not great. And I was like, I, I really think I need to go to, like, the hospital or urgent care. And she was like, well, they're just going to tell you to ice it. Like, they can't actually do anything. And I was like, but I can't like I'm in, I'm in a lot of pain I can't walk and she was like just kind of ignored me and it was really frightening because I had had independence for about two years at that mm-hmm. time um but I was in a city I wasn't familiar with mm-hmm. and she had all the money and control mm-hmm. so I had like no power over my situation and it was super scary it was terrifying so what happened is my neighbor that I grew up next to he's a couple years older than me um we visited him because he was staying in D.C. for an internship. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, like, took him out to lunch. And so, like, my... We went to, like, Nando's or something. And when my mom got up to get drinks, I, like... He knew about, like... Because he saw me limping. Like, and we told him the story. And, like, the second she left, I turned to him, like, literally crying. And was like, she won't take me to the ER and I don't know what to do. Like, she won't let me get medical help, and I, I'm really scared, and I don't know what to do. And he was, he literally laughed. He's like, what? Like, because of course, this is shocking, and you're, I'm just like, hey, please help me. And so I was like, please, like, tell her that she has to take me to get help, because she won't listen to me, and I don't know what else to do. And so he was like, okay like kind of laughed it off but like he did it he's like at the end of the meal he's like you you really should take her to urgent care i think and she was like yeah fine okay so we went and the doctor was like oh man this is a really bad one um we're gonna get you like some codeine right away and you need to go get x-rays over here and all this stuff and the second the doctor left the room she was like i told you we should have gone to urgent care and i was like what no what no (sighs) what no so 
That wasn't great. No, um, that's really rough. I'm sorry you had to go through that. Yeah, it was a very frightening time, and I actually am um, that the bad, the bad bad ex mm-hmm. um, actually drove from Baltimore and picked me mm-hmm. up in D.C., which was like one of the good things he yeah. did. Um, but I was just like, I can't be here with you. Yeah. I have to go away. Um, and she she felt so guilty that she came back and like helped me get to a hospital in Baltimore for x-rays, which is, like, something. Um, And we've grown a lot since then, Mm -hmm. and I kind of, like, I call her on more bullshit, but, like, yeah, that was a rough experience and let me realize, like, oh, this is why I can't express anger, Mm -hmm. and I feel super guilty when I try to, Mm -hmm. because I've been told my whole life it's my fault. Mm -hmm. So, And do you think that, and feel free to not answer this if you're not comfortable, but do you think that climate growing up in is what allowed you to, like, fall into a relationship that was also, like, emotionally abusive? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for sure, and I'm super comfortable okay. talking about it because I, I know it uh, is a huge part of what let that relationship continue because mm-hmm. he would... um break up with me and then get back together with me when he saw that I was starting to heal and do better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could never, I tried to express like, hey, you do all these things that hurt me um, and I really care about you, but like you're hurting me over and over again. And I couldn't just be like angry and be like, I'm done with this, I'm giving up on you. It was more like he would apologize and be like, like, I'll try to help you. Like, I'll fix you. It's okay. And it was just like, but I'm but I'm mad at you for the things. Mm-hmm. It was very weird. It was just a weird, rough time. But I didn't, I couldn't summon enough anger to be like, I'm completely done with you. We're not doing this anymore yeah. until, like, the last time when he cheated on me with his girlfriend from high school and then lived with her for, like, a well, year. Well, that's nice. So. That's a good thing to do to another person. Yeah, that's, <laughs> He's a good... Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Whatever, he, he's a creep. It's yeah. fine. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Ugh, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot to unpack. And you, and I would imagine it was really sort of difficult just sitting on all this stuff and not knowing that it was that stuff. And so I'm, I'm glad that you're in a better place now because that sounds like, ooh, that sounds like, ooh. <laughs> I'm so light years ahead of where I was, and I I appreciate mm-hmm. that every goddamn day, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is why I'm super comfortable with being single as well. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I think could be a problem is like if I do find someone I really want to date, I will probably I'm gonna I mean first of all I'm waiting until I find a really good human I can trust yeah. to be like also empathetic and on my same wavelength of maturity, mm-hmm. but like it's a uh, I've learned to be really comfortable on my own and be like, I'm not going to waste my time with someone who doesn't respect and value me. That's very good. Yay! That's very good. The the bar is quite low and yet still been single like two years. <laughs> but it is also... The, but it's hard. I mean, there's just like a lot of really shitty self-centered folks out there. Like, I think it's like you say the bar is low in a way, way it is, but also in a way it's not. And mm-hmm. it's, like, it's hard to realize that, like, it's hard to find someone who wants to be with you because they want a good partnership rather than they want something from you. 
Exactly. And yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. Because you meet in the middle, you gotta you gotta just meet in that good middle place of understanding each other. And like the other thing is like um, I kind of want to talk about on this a similar note of like I do a whole bit in my stand up about like it's difficult being mentally ill and dating. And like when once you find someone, it's kind of easy with someone like that's like willing to listen to what you have to say. But but like going on like first dates. And going, oh, I have mm-hmm. this specifically with something like bipolar disorder where it's like, oh, I could just right now I could be in a manic episode and that's why we're on this date. Like, mm. I've done that because like you part of mm-hmm. it is like hyperactivity and hypersexuality. We're like, no, I'll just anything that moves. I don't care. That sort of thing. <laughs> like out, like Quincy Jones put it like I'd fuck a mailbox. Like I don't <laughs> like, yeah, who gives a shit? But like, um, how do you have you? Have you had a, a partner since him? And if so, how do you approach talking about that? Because when you're in an abusive relationship, that really leaves a mark on you. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. yeah, I've been in a couple, not like, um, one more serious relationship mm-hmm. that ended quite quickly. And then one like kind of casual dating experience. Um, and in both of those situations, I think I talked a lot about that abusive situation because it was so fresh. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I probably did that thing where I over-talked about it because st- I was still sorting through mm-hmm. it. And I think I still do that a little bit. Like, I'm pretty open about it. Like, pretty much all the people that are close to me know about it um, because it. I feel like it shaped a lot of how far I've been able to come now. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I want people to know about that situation. And if you, it like, you know, it's also like, if people care about me, then it's like, you want to know this information mm-hmm. of like, hey, this is why I'm like this. This is why I have these things. And I don't know. I feel like it's kind of hard to describe, but I, I hope as I move further and further away from it, it becomes less a part of my history and like important background information yeah. and I can just be like, yeah, this thing happened, but I'm this person now, I'm completely different. And like, yeah. you should know me as this. Absolutely. There's a huge thing that's it's kind of hard for people to reconcile that people like do change a lot. And like, yeah. I'm, I see some, like there's some friends of mine going through some stuff where they're judging each other on actions that happened years ago and that's so hard because people are so different and if you lose contact with that person in any way it's hard to reconcile the same image you had when you knew them very well and then when you don't know them so well but they are different so i think that's a good that's definitely a good goal and it's like it's also one of these weird things of like as you go forward you realize like everybody's got weird stuff that they don't talk about oh yeah like and that's been that's always something that's really as like an adult when you start learning things about your parents that you had no idea it was the case Mm -hmm. and that's always like oh that's why you're that way and i think it's really important to like qualify like everyone is always has something that they they have five things that they're never going to tell you just Mm -hmm. and that's okay it's okay to have personal information (laughs) exactly because we do live in this like day and age where like we have literally all of humanity's collective consciousness in our pocket and so we feel like we have a right to information when really like no no one does 
And mm-hmm. so on, you know, that kind of note, I'd want to I want to thank you for sharing some of the information about yourself because it is a precious thing. Yeah. And so I really am appreciative of that. Thank yeah. you. Um before we wrap up, I have uh, two things for you. One, what would be the main thing that you learned and that you'd want to pass on to other people and then the other thing is like where can people find your stuff because it's very good thank you um number one thing oh my gosh um i think uh if you also have anxiety a good breathing exercise that i feel like it feels like has literally saved my life a couple times in that kind of feeling is um like breathe in for seven counts hold for eight counts and then like breathe out for maybe like four or so Mm -hmm. I think was the exercise that a therapist taught me um and just letting that oxygen hit your brain can be so calming and relaxing like if you I just do that like I try to do that three times if I'm feeling super anxious and it typically can at least help me feel better a lot and also just like knowing that um everyone has their own stuff going on and probably they aren't thinking about you as much as you think they yeah. are. So it's okay to like step back and be like, you know what? It's mm-hmm. okay. Like they're worried about their own shit and like I can respect that and also know that like my shit isn't like gonna annoy them as much as I think <laughs> it is probably yeah. kind of yeah. deal. So everyone's thing. And then go ahead. Oh, yeah, no, just like I was gonna Oh, yeah, like Pitch. yeah everything everything everybody's thinking about themselves don't nothing is about anyone it's this weird thing of like and once again mm-hmm. as adults you know you kind of learn like nothing's about you like that baggage mm-hmm. is nothing to do with you and like there's two like the thing i like to say is like there are two kinds of problems that life is just two kinds of problems over and over again and they're really easily easily solved they're really simple solved like it's just like either it's your problem and therefore you can fix it or apologize or move forward from it or it's someone else's problem and then it's not your problem so it's just like what mm-hmm. what can i fix and then you kind of and that's really hard specifically i feel like for young people to understand that that there's like n- every time someone talks to you it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with you you're just there you know what i mean exactly yeah definitely yeah. but where can people find your beautiful beautiful art Ah, they could. Oh, thank you. And they can find it at um, my professional portfolio website is laurenheathart.com. Lauren spelled like how most people spell it and Heath spelled like the candy bar and art. I hope you can spell art. (laughs) Yes, I'm a delicious candy bar. What's up? And then my Instagram uh, handle is the same title, just Lauren Heath Mm -hmm. Art. And that'll also have a connection to my Threadless store, which I really need to update. Mm -hmm. Um... But that will have a lot more current updates and sketches and works in progress and stuff. Um, so I'm mostly doing digital mm-hmm. now, but a little bit of traditional doodles as well. I have a, so, I have yeah. a question about a specific piece you did, which was um, you did like the Minnesotan Inventions piece. What 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 was that about? I'm from Minnesota. Oh, and so, oh that was... Um, that was a school assignment um, for a, a wonderful class I took about map mm-hmm. making. Um, map maker, make me, so ma- it was make me a map. Find me a find. Maps, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but it was we got assigned um, a state randomly, mm-hmm. and then 
um, could just sort of choose a theme. So I found out that a lot of things have been invented in Minnesota, which is fucking mm-hmm. rad. Those pants. Oh, yeah. Spam. Um, so spam. So I, yeah, so that was just a drawing like filled up of, so it wasn't like really a specific mm-hmm. map, but it was, that was what that was it, about. It was for a class that I love. Very aesthetically pleasing. Well done. Big fan of it. Thank you. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh. But thank you for being on, and I appreciate you sharing everything you did and keeping the things you didn't share inside, and that's okay, too. <laughs> Yay! Thank you! I now call to order this meeting of the Amateur Detectives Club. We've got a mystery on our hands, gang. It's What's the Best Mystery Review Podcast. <gasps> what are the clues? Well, they have to feature, like, very good detectives like Hercule Poirot. Oh, I love him. Maybe be about books that everybody loves and sometimes TV shows or movies. Hmm. And it has to have some good hosts. Like, probably a three seems like a good number. Uh, just delightful, charming charming hosts. You know what, guys? What? I think I have the solution. Mm-hmm. It's the Amateur Detectives Club, a new mystery podcast with me, Melissa Maley. And Miles Newworth. And me, Tristan Miller. When does it come out? Oh, it comes out every um, third Monday of the month. Wonderful. This meeting is adjourned. Jacques! Gavel sound. <laughs>